We won't always choose the fastest way to get something done. We just want to feel that we are powerful and that we have a choice. Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. In the last 18 months, and especially since my fleeting trip to Argentina last year, I have been suffering from serious travel withdrawal symptoms. As we all know, there are always two sides to everything. The good side in my story is that I started this podcast because when I realized that I couldn't travel anymore, I decided to at least talk about it. What you are listening to here right now is my COVID-19 baby. I cannot really say that I suffered so much during all these lockdowns. I live on a beautiful sunny island and I have a garden. And I also managed to go to Switzerland a few times. But those were not the trips that I am used to, to go to normally. They are trips to go and see friends and family and check on our apartment. I felt trapped. My wings on the island were cut. The airport was closed at some point. As we always say, it's all in the mind. We know that just knowing that you could go, even if you don't want to go, makes you feel good. Humans want to have choices because it makes us feel in control. We won't always choose the fastest way to get something done. We just want to feel that we are powerful and that we have a choice. If you want people to do stuff, give them options. And during COVID, I felt that my choices had been taken away from me. But enough of this. Let's talk about traveling and most memorable journeys. Judy and Catherine are my oldest friends here in Cyprus. We have traveled together before. We've been to Ireland, Catherine's home. We traveled to Switzerland together. And we have known each other for a very long time. And we have watched each other's children grow up. Basically, we have traveled through most of our adult life together. We have gone through thick and thin. And when we got together about a month ago, and Catherine said that the 1st of October is a holiday and it's a Friday and she's a teacher. So she said we could go away for a long weekend and we started thinking, where could we go? Because with all these situation that we are in and the red countries and the orange countries and do we need a test or what, we couldn't make up our minds at first. But then Jordan was mentioned. And as soon as I heard Jordan, they had my full attention. Ever since I read the book, Leap of Faith, Memoirs of an Unexpected Life, written by Queen Noor of Jordan, the wife of the late Jordanian King Hussein I. And I had seen a picture of the king and her sitting on a motorcycle in Wadi Rum in the background. And I wanted to go there. I always thought it's been, I don't know, I, I read this book maybe 17 years ago. And this was my opportunity to make my dream come true. I hadn't been very active in the planning of this trip because I had been really busy with work. But thanks to Judy and Catherine, we had a solid idea of what we wanted to see. My priorities were Petra and Wadi Rum, and I had already declared that I could do without visiting the Dead Sea 
in case we didn't have enough days. We only had four nights. So we filled out all the forms. We did our PCR test, which was demanded by the Jordanian government. And we booked the Jordan Pass, which gives you access to over 40 Jordan tourist attractions and also waives the fee for the visa, which you need upon entering the country. I wonder if someone listens to this episode in a few years, if they will still know what a PCR test is. Are we going to travel without all these forms and tests ever again? Well, for now, this is what it needs and this is what we do. So we took an evening flight from Paphos to Amman on Ryanair, my favorite airline. I'm a little sarcastic here. I don't like low-cost carriers. And I miss good old airlines and good service and porcelain and real cutlery. I don't like to drag my luggage up and down stairs. Actually, I like business class. But that's another story. We used to dress up to go on flights in the old days. And when I was a tour guide in the 80s, we were not allowed to wear blue jeans. Things have changed and I just got used to it. And the flight time from Cyprus to Jordan is less than an hour. And after something like 50 minutes, we promptly landed at the Queen Alia International Airport in, in Amman. I had no idea what to expect. And I was really impressed by the perfect and efficient organization upon arrival. Getting the visa and a health sticker and a passport were done in no time. Everything was really quick. And our driver, Abdullah, expected us in the arrival hall. This organization called Driver Joe Alavan Tours is a group of very professional and efficient guys who can drive you anywhere in Jordan. And they are totally reliable and honest and flexible because our initial program that we had sent to them wasn't 100% thought through. And we had to make adjustments all the time. And they always immediately confirmed the changes. They all speak English and they provide internet hotspots in the car which at first everybody thinks, oh, that's totally unnecessary. And then everybody logs in. They have a Facebook page and I'll put it in the show notes because I can really recommend them. So the drive from Amman Airport to our hotel in Petra took nearly three hours, but we had decided to drive in the night and wake up in Petra instead of going into Amman first and then wasting a whole morning driving down south. We had booked the Petra Guest House, which is a lovely and very clean hotel right next to the entrance of the ancient city of Petra, which is one of the new wonders of the world. These seven new wonders were chosen during a campaign at the beginning of the 21st century. It's, yeah, we're in the 21st century. And I have been to all of them because Petra was the only one I had been missing. The other six are the pyramids in, in Egypt, the Great Wall of China, the Colosseum in Rome, the Chichen Itza pyramids in Mexico, 
and then it's um, Machu Picchu in Peru, the Taj Mahal in India, and the um, Christ the Redeemer statue in Rio de Janeiro. So waking up in Petra was like being in a different world for the first time in a long time. And after a lovely breakfast and not so many hours of sleep, we started our Petra adventure and had to fight off a few hustlers who wanted to sell us goods, guiding, donkey rides, camel rides, and anything one can think of. Petra is called the capital of the Nabataeans, who were one of the most spectacular civilizations in history, and it is more than 2,000 years old. It is part or was part of a trading route between Mesopotamia and Egypt. Then an earthquake in the year 363 and changes in trading routes led to the downfall of the city. And it was abandoned by all, except some local Bedouins from the area. And new trade roads made Petra commercially irrelevant. Nobody spoke about Petra anymore. Of course, it was a Swiss who rediscovered the place, a Swiss named Johannes Burckhardt, who set out in 1812, dressed up as an Arab, and he had been spending a lot of time in the area. He's actually a very interesting man, and he spoke fluent Arabic that he actually could pass for an Arab. And off he went to rediscover, he had heard about this amazing place and he wanted to know what it's all about. And thank God he did. Just shortly after the entrance, one walks through this narrow gorge called the Sikh. And I just spent most of the time saying, oh my God, oh my God, oh wow, this is beautiful. I had never seen anything like that. And that was way before we even arrived at the treasury. The city is carved in red sandstone and all these rock facades, tombs and temples became famous around the world because they appeared in the movie Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade in 1989. We walked on to the theatre and the theatre is carved, it's not built, it's carved into the stone. The royal tombs, the great temple and all this while we were fighting off the hustlers who wanted to sell us things. Occasionally we got involved with them. Some of us a little more than others, remember Judy Darling? We were fascinated by their eyeliner and then learned that the Bedouins and many people in this part of the world use coal eyeliner because it protects their eyes from the sun. And of course we had to try it out too. But I have to say that it looks a lot better on them than it looked on me. It's a long way from the entrance at the visitor center to the monastery. And the last part is steep and quite treacherous. And I gave up about 15 minutes before the top. I was just too tired and too exhausted. And I sat on a stone while I was waiting for my friends to return. Of course, I was offered several donkey rides, but I felt sorry for those poor animals going up those steep, stony steps. As I was sitting there, I was called over by Feyrus, 
who offered me tea at her little stall where she sells shawls and chains and souvenirs. We had a wonderful conversation from woman to woman. And all the years of my traveling, I have learned that wherever I go in the world, we are all the same. We want to be happy. We want to have an income and we want to be safe. She told me about her cooking and showed me all the amazing dishes that she prepares. And she told me about her Airbnb that she has in Petra. And we showed each other pictures of our children. And now we are friends on Facebook. And because of all this social media, the world has become such a small place. On the way back, Judy decided to convince me to go and join her on a camel ride which I wasn't so keen on at the beginning because I have been on camels quite a few times before working in Egypt and Tunisia and in, the, in, in Dubai. But I thought, why not? Let's have some fun. So we were carried from Qasr al-Bind to the, back to the treasury and had a real laugh. We met Shadi, Shadi who told us about his caves and that he offers overnights in his caves. He also has a Facebook and Instagram page. And of course, we became friends. All together, we spent about six hours within this fantastic ancient city of Petra. And we didn't even go into any side valleys. There is so much more to see. But for this time, we had one day and that was as good as, as it gets. We made the most of it, but I definitely want to come back and take it all in again and maybe even sleep in Shadi's cave. We ended our first day by watching a beautiful sunset over Petra and it just felt so good to be away again, feeling like a tourist after all these months of lockdowns and curfews and rules. I needed a good night's sleep. There was so much to digest and process. How did they build all these places? How did they cut out the rock? How did they transport things? How did they live? Of course, I was excited because the next day we were going to the place that I had seen on the photograph in Queen Noor's book, to Wadi Ram. And by the way, Wadi means valley. And Petra is in Wadi Musa. The next day, we were promptly and punctually picked up by Mahmoud, another one of this company's drivers. And he told us about the time when he was King Hussein's driver. The distance between Petra and Wadi Rum isn't so far. And on the way, we saw some sheep and some camels. But apart from that, the drive is relatively uneventful. We were dropped off at the entrance of Wadi Rum and from there driven in an open-top car to our little UFO pods, the Wadi Rum UFO Lux Hotel. It's a fascinating place in the middle of the desert and our little pot was beautiful and very comfortable, very clean. The bathroom and the bedsheets were very clean and we very much enjoyed the view from our giant hammock. We booked a cheap safari in the afternoon, which was going to take us to a special place to watch the sunset. 
There was a little misunderstanding at the beginning because we had booked a private tour and they tried to put us together with two other people on our very old open-top Toyota Land Cruiser, which had a Coca-Cola can as a petrol tank lid. And along either side of the truck, beds were makeshift benches turned car seats. It's important to give very clear instructions when you book these tours. Our driver took us to various viewpoints and we visited this amazing natural bridge and climbed on top of it. We had tea in a Bedouin tent and then we watched the sunset climbing another rock. I love the desert and have seen it in many places, but it is always fascinating again. And I also love how it changes color depending on the time of the day. Wadi Rum is awesome. The rose red of the massive rock formations in the barren desert will forever remain in my memory. It is a captivating place to enjoy the silence, the tough beauty and the calm. Wadi Rum is breathtaking and according to UNESCO, it is recognized globally as an iconic desert landscape. They kept telling us about all the movies that were filmed in Wadi Rum. I don't remember them now, but there were quite a few. And the protected area is recognized as a World Heritage Site since 2011. The Bedouins in Wadi Rum live off tourism. And they still preserve many of their traditional ways, though. Over-tourism has not really reached this part of the world. So you can take a breath of fresh air and enjoy the silence. And of course, the desert gets very dark in the night and stargazing is a must. You can see shooting stars. I didn't see one. I missed both of them that the others saw, but uh, maybe I was just not ready to make a wish. But getting up for the sunrise is also important. I love getting up early and watching these places being lit by the sun. After a great breakfast, the hotel shuttle took us back to the entrance of Wadi Rum, where we were expected by our old friend Abdullah. We had a long drive on this third day, going back north. But before we went north, we had to drive down south through these dramatic landscapes to Aquaba which is known as a wonderful diving destination on the Red Sea. But first we went to the Red Sea and Abdullah took us all the way down to the port area and showed us Ilat on the other side of the valley, which is the Israeli diving destination on the Red Sea. From there, the road goes quite close along the Jordanian-Israeli border. And our destination was the Mervyn Peak Hotel and Resort. And the drive there showed us how bare the country is. 75% of Jordan is desert. But there are quite a few places where you can see green. And the irrigated land in the Jordan Valley grows citrus and other fruit, potatoes and vegetables and olives. And they export to the Gulf states and to other places. On the way north, Abdullah also showed us the place, or actually the column, of Lot's wife, 
who turned to salt as a punishment for disobeying the angel's warnings. By looking back at the evil cities, she had betrayed her secret longing for that way of life, and she was deemed unworthy to be saved and then turned into a pillar of salt. There are so many places in Jordan, so many with biblical interest. And so on the way to the airport, we went to see where Moses was buried. It's like going through the Bible. Some of those places really look biblical. We were happy to check into the hotel and spend some time by the pool. But I was so curious to check out that Dead Sea, which I initially wasn't so keen on, but now suddenly very interested It was a lot warmer in this part of the country than it had been in the desert that morning. This place was quite magic, and it is actually the lowest place on earth. It is 414 meters below sea level, and I had read that the Dead Sea is nine times saltier than normal seawater. So I needed to find that out, actually. I also needed to go and find out what happened to my roomie, Judith, who had gone down to the shore way before. And as I walked down the steep stairs, I saw her floating on the water. And I walked past all those weird-looking people covered in mud and put my feet in the warm water. And this was anything beyond any expectations. You cannot actually swim on the Dead Sea because the water is so dense because of the salt that it just tumbles you over. You can just lay on the back there and float. And the water feels like like olive oil. It is quite indescribable. And of course, I tried the mud and my skin felt like a baby's bottom and I was totally hooked. What an amazing feeling. I knew that I would have to get up very early the next morning before our departure to experience this again. And it just goes to say, never say never before you try something. I had been the one saying that I wasn't really so keen on going to the Dead Sea and now I was captivated. Even more after watching the amazing sunset over the other side of the water, the sunset over Palestine. This is definitely a place I want to go back to very soon. That night, we had a lovely dinner at Luigi's, the Italian restaurant of the Mervyn Pick Resort. And the food was good and the service was really friendly. And there was live music. And it just felt so normal again. It felt like being on a holiday for the first time after eight months of this quite challenging time. It was just beautiful and a perfect end to a wonderful experience in this very interesting country, which I should have visited a long time ago. There's a lot to say about this part of the world, about the Middle East. So many misconceptions, beautiful people with so much culture and history so often reduced to a misunderstood conception of their religion. I love this area. I love their hospitality, the food, the kindness, the humor. And I really hope to be able to go back to Jordan very soon. If you like my podcast, please subscribe and listen to all my episodes and all my interviews because I have some cool guests. 
and let me know if you have any questions or if you want to support me and sponsor an episode. If you enjoy my podcast, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. You will find all the information in the show notes. If you like what you hear and you want to know more about what I do, check out my website www.thesoulkit.com.